Good afternoon, and thank you for joining Atlassian's earnings conference call for the first quarter of fiscal year 2024. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded and will be available for replay on the Investor Relations section of Atlassian's website following this call. I will now hand the call over to Martin Lamb, Atlassian's Head of Investor Relations. Welcome to Atlassian's first quarter of fiscal year 2024 earnings call. Thank you for joining us today. Joining me on the call today, we have Atlassian's co-founders and co-CEOs, Scott Farquhar and Mike Kennenbrook, Chief Revenue Officer Cameron Deesh, and Chief Financial Officer Joe Bin. Earlier today, we published a shareholder letter and press release with our financial results and commentary for our first quarter of fiscal year 2024. The shareholder letter is available on Atlassian's Work Life blog in the Investor Relations section of our website, where you will also find other earnings-related material, including the earnings press release and supplemental investor data sheet. As always, our shareholder letter contains management's insight and commentary for the quarter. So during the call today, we'll have brief opening remarks and then focus our time on Q&A. This call will include forward-looking statements. Forward-looking statements include known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. If any such risks or uncertainties materialize or if any of the assumptions prove incorrect, our results could differ materially from the results expressed or implied by the forward-looking statements we make. We should not, not rely upon forward-looking statements as predictions of the future events. Forward-looking statements represent our management's beliefs and assumptions only as of the date such statements are made. We undertake no obligation to update or revise such statements should they change or cease to be current. Further information on these or other factors that could affect our business performance and financial results is included in filings we make with the Securities and Exchange Commission from time to time including the section titled Risk Factors and our most recent filed annual and quarterly reports. During today's call, we will also discuss non-GAAP financial measures. These non-GAAP financial measures are in addition to and are not a substitute for or superior to measures of financial performance prepared in accordance with GAAP. The reconciliation between GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures is available in our shareholder letter, earnings release, and investor sheet on the investor relations section of our website. We'd like to allow as many of you to participate in Q&A as possible. Out of respect for others on the call, we'll take one question at a time. And with that, I'll turn the call over to Scott for opening remarks. Thank you for joining us today. As you've already read in our shareholder letter, we've been busy. We kicked off FY24 by executing well and playing the fence. We continue to push hard on our biggest bets, cloud, enterprise, and ITSM, and those bets continue to pay off. We're also shipping ever more new products and innovation to our customers. This quarter, we launched Compass into general availability. This is on the heels of launching Jira product discovery last quarter, which is off to a fantastic start with several thousand customers already. I was just at our high-velocity IT service management event here in Sydney when we announced the general availability of virtual agents in Jira service management and debuted a host of additional AI capabilities. We heard from some of our incredible customers who shared how they migrated their legacy ITSM solutions to Jira Service Management and are now delivering exceptional service experiences faster than ever. Through our cloud platform, thousands of customers through our early access program are already realizing value from the AI capabilities we've introduced across our cloud products powered by Atlassian Intelligence. The early feedback has been terrific and we're incredibly excited by the opportunities that AI presents us. Along with the organic innovation happening here at Atlassian, we're also announced our acquisitions of Airtrack and Loom. Airtrack builds on our previous investments in IT service management and will enable enterprises to better account for and trust all their critical assets within their organizations. Loom, which has a passionate customer base of 200,000, 
will bring the power of asynchronous video messaging to the ISIM platform. We firmly believe distributed work is here to stay and Loom will allow teams across the globe or even in the same building to collaborate seamlessly in deeply human ways. People are increasingly turning to video as a way to collaborate and consume information. And we're incredibly excited about the opportunities that video can be applied across our platform. Our customers are looking to Atlassian to, uh, to uh, provide them solutions in the collaboration space, and Loom gives us an incredible opportunity to further unleash the potential of their teams. We're also playing offense on talent. Atlassian is the cornerstone of our success, and we're focused on adding and retaining amazing talent across the company, including great senior leaders. We recently welcomed Zainab Ozdemir as our Chief Marketing Officer and Vikram Rowe as our Chief Cost Officer. And we promoted Kevin Egan to Chief Sales Officer, all of whom bring great experience to our leadership team. I also want to acknowledge Cameron, uh, as this will be his last earnings call with us. Mike and I are incredibly grateful for his 11 years of dedication, impact, and most of all, friendship. With that, I'll pass the call to the operator for Q&A. We will now begin the question and answer session. If you have a question, please press star, followed by the one on your phone. If you'd like to withdraw from the queue, please press star, followed by the two. Your first question comes from Ryan McWilliams from Barclays. Please go ahead. Appreciate you guys taking the question. Um, we'd love to just double click on the timing of the remaining migrations. Um, I think at this point there might be a little more server revenue um, still in the model than investors expected. So any expectation for um, like when those remaining migrations will move over and the composition of um, those remaining customers, like are they more likely to go to data center or cloud from here? Thank you. Yeah, this is Cameron. I'll, I'll take the first here and then I have Joe follow up. So um, as many of you know, we have the server end of life uh, coming up in the next few months, mid-February. We will uh, cease all support for server customers after that date. And over the last few years, we've been actively, aggressively going up to all of our customers across server and data center, uh, attempting them to get them to the cloud. And this has been very positive for us. It's been gone very in line with our plans over these few years. Um, but obviously, there are many customers out there that will wait till the last moment <laughs> before they make this decision. Um, and we see that today in our enterprise pipeline. We have healthy pipeline with enterprise migrations. Um, going up over the next few months. Um, as far as uh, what I want to make sure that it's very clear here is, you know, post-February, we still will have many migrations. So many customers between now and February will be going from server to either data center or preferably cloud. Uh, but for those customers that choose data center, we will continue to be migrating those data center customers to the cloud in the coming years. Um, so the short answer there is, yeah, we do expect to see a flurry of activity over the next few months with that big compelling event in February, but migrations will continue post the February date. Joe, you have anything to add? Yeah, thanks, Cameron. Uh, Ryan, really no change from what we discussed last quarter in terms of the uh, server end of support dynamics that are baked into our guidance. Uh, as Cameron mentioned, we end support for server products in 2024. Uh, there may be significant quarter-to-quarter -quarter variability, as Cameron mentioned, based on when and how those server customers ultimately choose to migrate. We continue to assume the percentage split on migrated seats between data center and cloud will be relatively consistent with historical trends up to that end of support moment. And then with end of support, we continue to expect most of those remaining server seats that migrate will migrate to data center. And we continue to hold prudent assumptions to account for customers who will choose not to migrate in FY24, and that's also factored into our guidance. Hope that helps.
Your next question comes from Carl Kierstead from UBS. Please go ahead. To just ask uh, about your observations about the macro. I think every investor on the line is seeing some challenges uh, across the space with, I'd say, a bit of a skew towards some pressure in the SMB space. Could you talk about the trends you're seeing, uh, SMB versus enterprise, and then perhaps elaborate on the seat growth comment you made in the uh, prepared remarks? Thanks so much. Yeah, great question, Carl. Thanks thanks for asking. Um, you recall by the end of Q4, we were seeing signs of improvement and stabilization in SMB and a very healthy enterprise environment. Uh, those trends continued into Q1 and played out largely as we expected during the quarter. Now, keep in mind, Q1 is typically not a big quarter for us when it comes to large enterprise deals, and we have significant revenue mix from SMB. Uh, now, having said that, there was really nothing unusual or noteworthy to call out uh, in the relative Q1 performance between those two customer segments. Uh, in relation to the cloud uh, aspect of Q1, the trends we saw in Q4 continued into Q1, and those were also la largely consistent with what we expected. The cloud business does continue to be impacted by pressure on paid seed expansion and free-to-paid conversions at the top of the funnel, uh, although we continue to see some signs of stabilization as the rate of deceleration in those areas continue to moderate slightly. Uh, the other parts of our cloud business, migrations, upsell to higher-priced versions, cross-sell, customer churn, those also all continue to be very healthy and perform in line with our expectations. Uh, and then from a linearity perspective, uh, linearity in the quarter is what you'd expect to see, and the trends and impacts were fairly consistent across products, regions, and verticals. Hope that color helps. Also, just to add on there, at the risk of three people answering one question, uh, one of the tailwinds we've seen is consolidation. Uh, we are actually seeing that across the market. More and more of the conversations I'm having with customers large and small uh, are them trying to simplify the number of tools that they are using out there. And because Alaskan is so mission critical, we are one of the vendors that they turn to to uh, you know, consolidate on. Uh, a good example of that was uh, Domino's uh, Pizza that run uh, 4,000 stores uh, across sort of Asia Pac and across the world actually. And they've uh, consolidated uh, six tools down uh, to one uh, Jira service management installation. and. We're seeing that uh, more and more across the customer conversations. Your next question comes from Brent Phil from Jefferies. Please go ahead. Thanks, Joe. Um, just on Carl's question on uh, the overall macro, in terms of linearity, was there anything different that you saw throughout the quarter, uh, or were, was that also pretty consistent to your comments about what you've seen the last quarters, a uh, few quarters between us and being enterprise? And also, if you could just add on, um, many are kind of asking about uh, close to a billion dollars for Loom. Kind of what was the, the magic sauce, if you will, that, that drove that type of price point and the desire to, to complete that transaction? Thanks. Thanks, Brent. Uh, I'll address the first part of your question regarding linearity in the quarter, and then Mike will pick it up on the loom, the loom question. Um, linearity in the quarter was exactly what you'd expect to see, so there was nothing unusual or strange about Q1 uh, from a linearity perspective overall. Mike? Sure, Joe, I can, I can handle that. Hi, everyone. Um, look, from a financial point of view, uh, we think Loom is a great acquisition for Atlassian. Um, the strategic rationale always comes first for us in this particular case. Uh, it is a um, 
a product that's leaning into a lot of trends that we think are, are working really well uh, from the point of view of firstly, distributed work and the increasing uh, desire for asynchronous collaboration uh, across lots of different uh, businesses. Uh, secondly, just the shift in the way that um, people are sharing and consuming video in the enterprise, uh, specifically as the younger generation become more a part of the workforce. Uh, and thirdly, AI is changing the way that video can be um, created uh, and consumed in really interesting ways that I think it will make it more uh, a part of the formats that we all uh, collaborate on and work uh, over time. Uh, from a financial rationale, look, the, the business itself and the product of Loom uh, is going to continue as a standalone uh, individual product, as we've said. Um, as Scott mentioned in his remarks, you know, over 200,000 customers now. Um, it's got a fantastic brand and it's the leader in that, uh, in that space and is a, is a fast-growing standalone business in and of itself. Uh, secondly, we believe for ourselves there's obviously a lot of opportunities in video and combining our video infrastructure team with uh, Loom's video infrastructure team. We have video as a first-class citizen across our platform uh, family of products today, uh, but obviously the uh, Loom capabilities will, will improve that uh, in each of our spaces, whether that's in service management or uh, in broad uh, business collaboration or, uh, of course, in uh, software teams. Um, and lastly, there's obviously an opportunity for us to combine products, as you've seen us do a little bit already with Elastium together, um, to uh, cross-sell Loom as a product into our uh, existing base of more than uh, 265,000 customers. So um, we think it's a fantastic deal. We're, we're super excited about the product. We've been um, customers of it for a long time, uh, and I really think it can do great things as part of the Atlassian family. Your next question comes from Kash Rangan from Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you very much. Uh, uh, nice to see the stability in your end market. I was curious to see uh, what do you think about the data center growth rate at 42%? It seems to be outpacing the cloud. It probably should be flipped the other way. I'm sure you would like that and we would like that too. Uh, any refined thoughts on how you view the data center business growth profile and the things you might be uh, doing incrementally in terms of functionality for the cloud product that would make it more of a compelling value proposition for the customer to uh, to, to go cloud as opposed to uh, server product? Thank you so much. That's it. Yeah, Cash, this is Joe. I'll start. Um, you're right. It was another strong quarter for data center at 42% growth. Uh, that was slightly ahead of our expectations, and it was driven by really strong renewals, migrations from server, and seed expansion within existing customers. Um, it's worth noting we're growing a significant installed base on data center, which is a great stepping stone to the cloud for those who are currently blocked for moving to the cloud at the moment. And it's a good sign of how committed customers are to the Atlassian roadmap and platform. And having uh, a big uh, installed base on data center is a high-class problem to have uh, because that will fuel future migrations to the cloud. Cameron? Yeah, I've uh, had dozens of conversations with many of our largest customers about this exact decision that many of them are making. Um, and the reality is we see having both cloud and data center as a long-term competitive advantage for Atlassian, and we're providing optionality for these customers in the coming years. Um, as far as the functionality perspective, the good part is there is very few customers where we have not been able to handle their scale, their data requirements, their privacy requirements, their compliance requirements, or their needs for customizations in cloud. So rarely is there a technical conversation where customers can't go to cloud. Uh, it's really just, are they ready? Can we move the migration? 
uh, where is that where the stat in their business and is there the compelling functionality to move them over. Um, in every one of those conversations, the customers understand cloud is in their future. It just comes down to the timing to get them over. Um, but either way, an investment in data center, investment in cloud is a longer term strategic investment in Atlassian. It gets them further committed to Atlassian. And I know and we've shown with our tra track record that we can and will move data center customers to the cloud um, along with their business needs. Your next question comes from Fred Havimaya from Macquarie. Please go ahead. Hey, thank you. Um, good to be catching up on this call. I wanted to focus in on how you're thinking about AI overall as an overarching strategy. And I can't fail but notice, of course, that your new chief marketing officer has a PhD in machine learning. Um, a number of your product offerings you're describing, of course, including Loom, being able to integrate generative AI-related summaries. Just, it seems like there's an overarching theme here. Of course, you spoke to a part of it, but from top to bottom, it seems like you're trying to become more of like an AI-focused company as well. So perhaps, you know, could you elaborate on that and just how you think of the ongoing Atlassian branding and what value might be uh, unlocked from perhaps being more of an AI-first company? Thank you. Thanks, Fred. I, look, I can take that first and then Scott can follow on. Um, yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, Great observation. I'm not sure if you or, or ChatGPT observed that, but uh, Zainab does have a PhD in machine learning. Uh, she's also our CMO and fantastic. Uh, that, that'll obviously be a uh, an addition to her, her capabilities in uh, in AI marketing, but obviously not the, the singular reason um, for bringing her on board. Um, look, I, I think AI, we couldn't be more excited by AI and large language models at, at Atlassian, right? Uh, we... Uh, we take the view that it's a huge opportunity for us uh, for a number of different reasons. I think in each of our markets, this uh, technology transformation will be a huge change in the ability to deliver value to customers, which is where great software businesses are built. Um, we uh, have uh, a lot of very valuable data from our customers that we are the custodians of. Uh, and a lot of that data is textual uh, and increasingly video and audio are effectively becoming text with AI. So we have a lot of their data, which is really important in AI to be able to give them fantastic answers or, or magical experiences. Uh, secondly, we have a fantastic platform that we spent a lot of time building. Uh, so you see that in your last intelligence features that we've already shipped. Our ability to ship those features to all the products in the family simultaneously is a result of near on a decade of building a cloud platform, uh, having the customer's data centralized, having uh, singular editor and, and UI surfaces. So our ability to get features out to customers, we're incredibly, incredibly bullish on beyond uh, just our ability to build them. Um, and thirdly, obviously, with our uh, world-class engineering team and our R&D capabilities, uh, this is a, a technology transformation. And so you need to fundamentally build new products or build additions to existing products or build features or change the way features are built. Um, that takes a lot of internal R&D and expertise um, and, and we have that in spades. So we feel uh, incredibly excited about what AI can do for our customers fundamentally and what, what value we can deliver. Look, we're in the business of making amazing products and delivering them to our customers. It's like someone's given us a whole new, uh, you know, painting set to paint with a whole new set of materials that we can we can create art with and so we're we're extremely excited um we are certainly placing that 
at the center of our philosophies on building products. I think that's what software companies are doing. Um, I'm not sure when people say AI first company exactly what that means, but we are certainly heavily investing in um, our AI capabilities, uh, all of the, the governance and privacy and responsible technology principles that are required to do that uh, well for customers and give them the right data provenance when we give them answers of any form, um, but also making sure that we deliver those capabilities and that we are investing in in how we can do that. Um, and this is going to take a few years to play out, but we're certainly really, really excited. Um, Scott, anything you'd add on to that? Yeah, just a, a couple of things. The, we all know that AI is driven by unique data sets and you can provide unique experiences when you have unique data sets. And if you look at what Alassian has done over the decades, uh, we've been in business and the data we have, it's a really unique advantage for us. Firstly, our products are open by default, uh, which sounds like a, a simple thing, but uh, uh, if you want to train AI on data uh, inside your organization, that data can't be isolated to a few people. And uh, if you use Confluence, you, uh, as a, one of our customers, uh, you have a decade's worth of data that's available to train their AI on and help them make decisions. Uh, that's a really big part of our advantage. The second one is that uh, we have breadth across what we do uh, in, in terms of the workloads and what people use our products for span the entire organization. And uh, that allows us to you know, do very you know, unique data sets to make uh, decisions across the entire organization. And lastly, that also includes third-party products. We've talked about our open tool chain for a long time. And uh, if you're a single vendor uh, that just does one thing, you can provide information about that one thing. But because our open tool chain spans everything across an organization, we can provide uh, experiences and uh, you know AI insights that span your entire organization, and uh, so I think those those are all really interesting. And then you know while other uh, vendors uh, waffle on a little bit about their AI features, uh, you know we're out there delivering them on our platform, and we're super excited about what we uh, what we deliver on a regular basis. And we've just got a cadence of those things coming out to our customers uh, on on a regular basis, and uh, so we're head down delivering uh, the value to our customers. Your next question comes from Greg Moskowitz from Mizuho. Please go ahead. Hey, thank you for taking the question. I had a follow-up on cloud migrations. You mentioned in the shareholder letter that the number of user migrations over the past year uh, has risen by nearly 50%, and, and certainly that's a high growth rate, but I think the increase was more like 2x a couple of quarters ago. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, is this change in growth just a function of law of larger numbers and tougher compares, or is it also reflective of uh, a much smaller opportunity set or even a slowdown uh, in the appetite of customers to, uh, to migrate to the cloud? Thanks. Yeah, this is Cameron. I'll take first half of this and let Joe add anything he deems fit. Uh, yeah, the reality is uh, we've had, ever since we announced the server end of life, which was a little, a little more than three years ago, now we have increasingly quarter on quarter uh, raised our number of migrated seats that come across the board. Of course, we saw some huge um, jumps uh, depending on different times along that journey we've had based off of either our loyalty discount programs or price changes along the way. As you remember, over the last few years, we've built in these compelling events to give customers reasons to migrate throughout the years, um, and the customers that migrated earlier uh, were financially incentivized to do so. Um, that said, the numbers that we are dealing with now are quite large, um, and they continue to grow significantly quarter on quarter. And I believe as we go into the next few months with server end of life, 
um, many of the customers who've waited till the last moment will be making these decisions to get the data center in cloud, um, and there'll be a lot of energy around that. The good part is all of our customer-facing teams, our partners, our migration experts, you name it, um, are more than capable of handling any influx we get in the next few months as customers wait till the last minute um, to make their choice on whether to go to data center or cloud. Um, and as I've already mentioned, post-February, we will continue to have migrations, um, continue to be a large part of our business as we move data center customers to cloud in the coming years. Joe? Yeah, Cam, the only other thing I'd add, uh, Greg, is, you know, we do expect FY24 to be a very big year for cloud migrations. Um, you know, we've guided to 10 points of cloud revenue growth coming from migrations for the full year. Um, just to reiterate what Cam said, that's really driven by two factors. We do continue to invest and make terrific progress in enabling and unblocking more and more customers to the cloud. Our tooling, our support, our cloud capabilities get better every day. And then the second point to reiterate what Cam said is we do have the server end of support moment in February 2024, and that will also contribute to migrations growth. Great, thank you. Your next question comes from Michael Turin from Wells Fargo. Please go ahead. Hey, great. Uh, thanks, good afternoon. I appreciate you taking the question. Um, Joe, maybe one on margin. You raised the margin outlook fairly meaningfully, the 20% implied is now close to where you ended last year. Can you just help level set where you are from an investment perspective? How much opportunity do you see on, on the cost management side? And if there are priority areas for us to be focused on as the server migration end approaches um, and maybe some resources free up as a result, that's uh, that's also useful. Thank you. Yeah, thank my, thanks, Michael. Um, you're right. The stronger than expected operating margin performance in Q1 and our guide in Q2 was driven by greater operating leverage. Um, and so we are seeing that primarily on the operating expense side. Um, in terms of operating expenses, I would say it's been a team-wide effort focused on a few core principles. Uh, we're focused on maximizing the return on every dollar we spend, making discipline prioritization and resource allocation calls, and driving operational efficiencies as we gain scale. Uh, as a result, the savings are really broad-based across all groups, from developer productivity and cloud co COGS optimization to GNA and everything in between. So it's happening across all teams, and we've made good progress to date. And I do think it's important to note, while we do this, we continue to make the discipline strategic investments in areas like cloud migrations and enterprise and AI uh, and our core markets uh, to drive durable long-term growth and serve customers. Um, in terms of the long-term trends, you're absolutely right. Uh, we've made significant multi-year investments in building out our cloud platform and building out our enterprise-grade capabilities. We do expect uh, that those growth rates and those investments to moderate uh, as we make tremendous progress against that over the next year or two. So that's definitely an additional area of leverage that we should see in the model uh, over, the, over the coming two years. Your next question comes from Peter Wade from Bernstein. Please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, in your note, uh, you know, I think you did a great job of mentioning, you know, the strength on premium and enterprise edition upsells, but I didn't notice any conversation about cross-sells, uh, you know, new functionality and things like JSM that have been, um, you know, such a powerful growth engine recently. Um, how has cross-sells been progressing? Uh, any change in pro propensity to adopt new product or rehear, you know, I think, you know, from some other companies, we're hearing some end-of-year strength with strong pipeline, uh, 
you know, do you see some increasing interest here and optimism for strength at the end of the calendar year, or how are things going with kind of cross-sell, particularly JSM, I would say? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'll take the first part of that question, and then Scott will chime in. Um, cross-sell is absolutely a key driver uh, in our cloud revenue uh, growth rate model. Um, we see a lot of opportunity to sell cross uh, to cross-sell additional products into existing customers. Uh, that continues to be very healthy. I talked earlier about the fact that that's been one of the areas of our cloud business that has held up really well and been resilient through the macroeconomic environment that we've experienced. Uh, in terms of pipeline, I would just say in general our Q2 pipeline is very strong, uh, and that's a function of everything that we've talked about that's held up well to date. It's the migrations, it's the cross-sell, it's the ability to upsell our customers to premium and enterprise editions of our products. So um, we're excited about that, and uh, we're looking forward to a great Q2. Scott? So I'll take that uh, for you, Scott. This is Cameron. Um, uh, yeah, the, uh, well, I want to reiterate the pipeline, the, the strength we see in enterprise today on our healthy pipelines is not just migrations, but is also includes Jira service management. Uh, we continue to see Jira service management's expansion within our customer base. Um, well, nearly 50,000 customers are on Jira service management today across all sizes, you know, whether that's small customers as well as we're increasingly seeing some large wins in larger enterprise customers with competitive replacements of, of legacy tooling. Um, I believe this is only going to continue to be strong as we continue to deliver new innovations, like we spoke about earlier today with the virtual agents and our merchant acquisitions to uh, continue to um, uh, innovate in the ITSM space. Um, so that is a major focus for us. I also do want to highlight that many of our customers, um, actually one of the most exciting things about talking about customers about getting to migrate them over an enterprise is a lot of the new capabilities we've been launched in our existing products, whether that's whiteboarding and Confluence, new automation capabilities, analytics capabilities, but we've also launched new products this year. Jira product discovery is getting a lot of attention within our customer base, um, and we've seen that uh, getting rapid adoption um, within kind of yearly adopters in our customer base. So very excited about that. And just over the last couple of weeks, we launched a new product called Compass, focused on uh, really our core developer user base and really have a new innovative experience to help uh, developers manage their complex services uh, 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 platforms. So I'm very excited across the board, uh, strength and Jira service management, but one, we can't lose sight of the many other products that many of our customers are very excited about. And in cloud, the reality is it's just way easier for them to adopt those products. Um, they can simply just turn them on, add them to their environment, and get value out of them. Uh, so by the time we come around and have a sales conversation, many of them are already understanding the value that uh, these products are providing to them. Your next question comes from Ari Tajanian from Cleveland Research. Please go ahead. Yes, hello. Thank you for taking the question. Um, we noticed some, you know, incremental carrots, so to speak, uh, during the quarter around, you know, dual licensing, step-up credits, six-month free trial for cloud. Uh, could you speak to some of those efforts and, you know, if they're providing any lift or also maybe potential, you know, dilutive impact on, on revenue? Thank you. Um, yeah, this is Cameron again. I'll speak broadly just to everything we've done to incentivize customers to migrate in the past few years. Um, and it's a, as I continue to say, is when we announced the server end of life three years ago, we had a carefully engineered set of programs to incentivize customers to migrate to the cloud um, sooner than later. Um, 
This was a combination of pricing incentives with loyalty discounts, extended trials, uh, so that customers could, you know, start using cloud uh, at no cost and get used to it and understand and comfortable with the new functionality. Or, of course, when customers purchase cloud, to ensure that they can continue to run their on-premise environments, their on-premises environments like data center, um, during the migration experience, knowing that migrations take different uh, extended periods of time. Um, so we had a ride. All of these were uh, well-planned, engineered from day one, um, and have been part of our migrations forecasts for the last few years. So um, we continue to roll those out um, uh, all the way up to the server end of life in February. Um, the goal really being to make it as easy as possible for customers who want to get the cloud to get the cloud as quickly as possible. Your next question comes from Jake Roberg from William Blair. Please go ahead. In your work and work management. And do you ever see that um, the potential to combine that with it lasting together? Seems like you're planning to offer it as a standalone product off the bat, but could Loom get integrated into that suite over time? Uh, yeah, g'day, Jake. I think I missed the start of the question, so tell me if I'm answering the wrong question here. Um, I think I think the first half didn't come through. Uh, the, the question, as I interpret it, is could Loom get integrated into some sort of a work management suite or bundle over time, uh, like we've done with Jira Work Management, Confluence, and Atlas and Atlassian together? So I hope I'm answering the right question. Um, that that certainly is uh, a distinct possibility. Uh, as I mentioned, there's a, a number of ways that we're looking to uh, continue to monetize and grow uh, Loom uh, as a result of the acquisition. One of those is certainly just Loom by itself as a standalone product. It has a significant audience already. Uh, it has some really good viral properties and growth vectors to it, uh, and we think we can help uh, continue that uh, movement forward. Um, second, certainly monetizing video across our audiences um, and improving, you know, you might think about it as a competitive position of confluence and better video features, right? Um, uh, but thirdly, is certainly looking at different bundles and opportunities in our customer base. Uh, I think you can be sure that we will do that thoughtfully when we come to looking at uh, work management uh, or ITSM. Uh, don't forget there's a significant video component in knowledge bases and helping employees to uh, and potential to share uh, quick uh, things either from the customer to the agent or from the agent back to the customer. So we, we'll continue to look at possibilities of bundling and putting it into things like Atlassian together, yes, um, but our, our upfront goal will be to uh, focus on integration and uh, firstly continuing the uh, great growth rate of Loom as a, as a standalone product, which is a, a fantastic business. Your next question comes from Keith Buxton from BMO. Please go ahead. Hi, many thanks for the question. Cameron, I think this is for you if I could. When you talk about the conversion help to cloud of 10 points, um, I was wondering if you could offer some commentary around what is that same metric? You know, How much help is going to data center 
And then for each of those, what happens after February 15th? Any kind of guidepost on how we should be thinking about the conversion help for uh, the, the customers that may be ongoing past the Feb 15th deadline? Any kind of commentary on how much conversion will help post Feb 15th? Many thanks. Okay. Um, yeah, so one part of clarity. So the 10 points of growth we mentioned is for our cloud business. Um, yep. That's just when it came to the migrations and being clarity on, on where that growth is coming. So, um, uh, and of course, as Jill already mentioned, a large portion of the data center growth today is simply server to data center conversions. Um, all of that pricing is actually available uh, on our website. You can see across all tiers, you can see what existing server renewals are and what existing data center uh, list prices are um, going forward. Um, now that's it, once customers have gone yeah, so to the data sorry, center. Sorry. Sorry, Cameron, that wasn't my question. My question is how much, it, what's the same metric for data center? So of the growth, how much contribution are you getting from conversions? Joe, you want to address that? Yeah, it's about uh, 15 to 20 points. And then what happens to those two metrics after the um, the end of life of server, do you think? And any kind of just directional barometers you would want to provide? I would say in general, what you should expect post-server end of support is, you know, obviously the server to data center migrations will start to decline. That's, a, that's going to be a big driver of why we expect to see the deceleration in data center in the second half of the year. Um, we haven't quantified specifically what that that curve looks like it. A lot of it will depend on what the customer purchasing behavior is around uh, that server end of support moment. How many of those seats move to data center? How many of those seats move to cloud? And the timing on that. Your next question comes from Fatima Bolani from City. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my questions. Um, I wanted to talk about the cloud SKUs uh, and the pricing increases that you've undertaken in the uh, cloud suite of uh, products and solutions and, and additions. Um, you know, it seems that every October, like clockwork, pricing goes up by 5%. So, uh, Joe, maybe the question is for you. How is that being contemplated in your guidance for the year? And as an added layer, um, can you speak to customers who migrated to cloud uh, in the past, in the recent past, who are perhaps on loyalty discounts, and what that cadence of, you know, getting these customers on loyalty discounts up to, you know, MSRP, if you will, you know, how that's being considered in your cloud guidance. And then a quick follow-up, if I may, please. Yes, um, this is Cameron. Let me just uh, address pricing um, directly on the cloud. Uh, as you mentioned, we did have cloud price increases go out this October. Uh, very much in line with the previous cloud price increases that we've rolled out in October. Um, as you mentioned, for our customer base, this is largely, granted, no customers like price increases, but it is from a, all the purposes of non-event. Um, customers are uh, understand that these are a regular price increase that comes from Alassian and regularly, uh, relatively minimal at the roughly, as you mentioned, 5% rate um, going forward. Um, of course, we have many customers. Our, our primary goal here is to continue to migrate many of our existing on-premises customers um, over to cloud. So it's always allowed us to, you know, we've always been very considerate about um, what is that pricing dynamic on our cloud list prices compared to on-premises customers. Um, as you already mentioned as well, as part of the last few years, we offered loyalty discounts 
um, which basically discounts off of list price for cloud over the last few years. And customers are on, uh, many of our customers are on one year or two year contracts in cloud. Um, when those contracts come up for renewal, they will be coming up at, at list price, whatever list price is at that time. Um, the good news, all of those customers understand that dynamic uh, when we speak to them about the loyalty discounts and these programs. And more importantly, since most of them are on, you know, have plenty, are on annual or, you know, uh, uh, two-year contracts, they have plenty of time to plan accordingly uh, for what their renewal will be. And then thanks, Cam. Uh, the question in terms of the guidance, um, as Cam mentioned, the effective price increase is roughly 5% blended. Uh, that's a good rule of thumb to use as you think about the impact uh, that is built into the guidance. And do keep in mind, whenever we make these price changes, it takes uh, a while for it to layer into the model simply because uh, they're effective when the agreements are signed and that happens over the course of time for our, our annual and multi-year agreements. Your next question comes from Derek Woods from Callen. Please go ahead. Oh, great. Thanks for taking my question. Um, in the shareholder letter, you guys mentioned that cloud sales from your channel was up nearly 2x year over year. Um, and, and when I look at your total cloud growth of 27%, that suggests that your your partners are really generating a, a tremendous amount of, of your cloud growth and, and, and perhaps uh, your own channels are a bit softer. Has there been a shift in, in go-to-market strategy to call out that's causing um, a higher mix of growth coming from your channel partners? Yeah, I'll take that one. This is Cameron. Um, so first off, we see that as very, very good news. Um, as all of you know, Atlassian's channel, our solution partner network is a critical part of our overall go-to-market and has been for all 11 years I've been here and even longer than that. Um, the dynamic you're seeing with the uh, partners' uh, cloud growth in the recent months largely comes down tied with our enterprise business. Um, we have many of our enterprise customers have large enterprise migration needs. All of them usually, uh, when they take on a large migration, are looking for some sort of technical or consulting help. Um, and that's where our solution partners uh, can provide direct access, plenty of expertise, and honestly de-risk the migration when it happens. So we have very much tied much of our enterprise go-to-market, not just with our direct sales, but joint sales with our solution partners to make those migrations happen. And that's why you're seeing the outperformance in our uh, channel cloud sales over the last couple of years. I also want to add, not just the channel, it's the reality is we've unlocked a ton of new capability in cloud, as well as unblocked many customers because of the scale, data privacy, um, and compliance capabilities that we've released in the last few years which only opens up our channel partners and the biggest customers that they are serving, um, continue to open up those doors to have them sign up for new migrations contracts. Makes sense. Thank you. Your next question comes from Mark Cash from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking the question. This is Mark on for Adam. I wanted to circle back to the consolidation trend and Atlassian together. We're now a couple quarters after announcing the offering. Uh, so could you first comment on the adoption, if it's helping drive cloud adoption, and, and if the plan of seeing organizations expand seats across buying centers is actually playing out so far? Thank you. Uh, sorry, yep. this is Happy Scott here. I think, um, 
Sorry, years. Scott. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is Cameron here. Apologies for the confusion there. Um, yeah, listen, Atlassian together is a key strategy to address what we see out there in the market of a variety of project management tools um, and used by different departments and different teams across the board. And we want to meet many of our customers, many of them are looking to try and standardize, you know, and consolidate on a single vendor to manage their teamwork needs. And when we looked out to the, the competitive offerings and what our customers are looking for, we realized we had a massive advantage with uh, the broad suite of Elastian products, not just Jira work management, including Confluence, new products like Atlas, um, to allow for customers to have a broad set of use cases uh, supported by a variety of tools versus having um, uh, from, a, from a single vendor at a significantly lower cost. So we come out and many of those customers over the last year have made those decisions um, and are have very happy migrating off of the other federated sets of tools to the Alaskan work management set of solutions. Um, now that's it. We are still, as you mentioned, a few quarters into this. Uh, it's still relatively early days in that offering, but we're definitely resonating with the overall um, demand for consolidating on teamwork tools and platforms and going with Atlassian has been a massive advantage there. Your next question comes from Kate Weiss from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Excellent. Thank you guys for taking the question. Um, I want to squeeze in two if I can. On different topics. Uh, one on just overall customer count. Uh, it seems like another relatively um, smaller than what you've seen historically uh, customer ad quarter. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the trends that you're seeing with customer counts and maybe the free to paid migration? Um, but also you, you took away the disclosure of actually like a point number of the number of customers. Uh, it's just, it, Atlassian's been a like a price times quantity of like, um, you add a lot of customers and then you make those customers bigger over time. Just wondering about like why to take away that disclosure. Um, you're only halfway to your 500,000 customer um, uh, goal. Why, why, why not give the specificity on a go forward basis? Um, so this is Cameron. I'll address the first half of that and then hand off to Joe. Um, so uh, as you mentioned, as we saw over the last year or so, we saw the new customer number um, declining largely as we saw free to paid conversion rates slow down. Um, now, that said, we still continue to get plenty of customers coming in to our website. Many are signing up for free instances and are using free versions of our products. That only continues to grow year on year. Um, but we just saw them being slower to get out their credit card or hit their 11 user mark to get into paid um, into that paid cohort. Um, good news, um, as Joe had already mentioned earlier, we are starting to see stabilization in that uh, overall impact. And actually, we saw increase from Q4 to Q1 in that net new customer number, largely due to improvements that we have made in our funnel, specifically around um, the commerce and conversion experience, just simply making it easier for these free customers to purchase our cloud products. Now that said, there's still plenty of uncertainty out there in the market, but seeing that stabilization and um, slight improvement quarter on quarter, we see as a largely uh, positive um, in Q1. Uh, Joe, do you wanna speak more to the numbers themselves? Yeah, thanks, Kim. Uh, Keith, we will continue to provide uh, the total customer number on a directional basis, uh, so um, that will continue to be provided. We are also adding a new KPI uh, that really goes to our strategy, and we believe this will help investors track progress against that strategy. Um, 
We are increasingly focused on moving customers, existing customers to the cloud and driving expansion within that massive base. And as we pointed out in the shareholder letter, this goes hand in hand with our strategy of driving breadth and that total customer number. So we are introducing an additional customer KPI for investors that we will report on a regular basis and tr to track our progress against this. And that's specifically the number of customers with over $10,000 in cloud ARR. Uh, at the end of Q1, as you read in the shareholder letter, we had over 40,000 customers that met that profile, growing 18%. And the reason we think this is a valuable metric is because this represents over 75% of our cloud revenue. So giving investors both the breadth and the secondary metric around uh, shift to cloud and expansion, we think uh, gives them a great picture holistically of our strategy and our execution against it. Your next question comes from Michael Turritz from KeyBank. Please go ahead. Hey guys, maybe we can talk about JSM a little bit. One of the things that I thought was interesting um, at uh, Team 23 was that movement to templates as a way of taking JSM beyond just the IT department into other areas of enterprise. Perhaps you can talk a little bit about the success there and, and how much non-IT uh, take rate you're starting to get with JSM. Uh, this is uh, Scott here. Uh, that's something we're very excited by is uh, the fact that uh, uh, we, we get really excited thinking about how help happens across an organization. Uh, you know, it's uh, typically a frustrating experience for, you know, for no matter where you sit in an organization, getting help from another team can be quite a frustrating experience. It's often uh, mediated in Slack or emails and you have to search for that information to actually uh, get something done. And uh, while we see IT you know, teams being uh, sort of the forefront of uh, making that a better experience, the more forward of our customers are saying, well, why is that not the case also for our legal department to get a contract reviewed? Why is that not the case when I want something for my HR uh, department? And uh, so as a result of that, and uh, you know, building the features there, as you mentioned with templates, 60% uh, of our JSM customers now use JSM outside of IT. Uh, and uh, I think you can see more and more of that. Uh, we're particularly excited because at our, at our price point and with our usability, I think uh, we have a better opportunity than many other vendors in this space to uh, go beyond the traditional IT uh, help desk. And so, uh, yeah, we're really excited about that. I'm, I'm glad you've uh, recognized it. Your next question comes from Itai Kidron from Oppenheimer. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. A uh, couple of questions for me. First, uh, can you give us an update on uh, work management and your progress there in the field? Uh, and whether that part of the business is affected more by uh, slower free-to-paid conversions? And, and the second question relates to the migration. It, it seemed like a, a, as part of your prepared remarks, you, you suggested, maybe I got this wrong, that um, you expect some customers not to migrate. Can you give a little bit more color on that? Has, have you already heard from customers that they intend to not make great at all uh, and just move elsewhere or live without support? Uh, if you can give us more color on the, on the magnitude of, of that uh, cohort, we'll be greatly appreciated. Thanks. Um, yeah, this is Cameron. I'll speak to the work management side of this and, and slightly to the migrations piece, then hand off to um, Joe. So, yeah, listen, work management is a key part of our overall offerings. Um, and just remember the products that we 
you know, put in there our Confluence, our second largest product, and we has massive adoption across our customer base and massive usage, and has been a key part of um, our SMB as well as our enterprise business. And many of the new functionalities we drive in Confluence, whether that's the whiteboarding capabilities, automation capabilities, you name it, um, have been key compelling drivers for migrations themselves. Add in our other offerings like Jira Work Management, which allows for much simpler business-friendly projects tied to your Jira usage, um, is a great way to extend from those technical development and IT teams into these other business use cases and projects. And we've seen um, significant adoption of those Jira Work Management project templates. We have a new product called Atlas, allowing you to basically communicate the status and updates and who's working on projects and the status of those projects and the goals and OKRs associated with them, regardless of where the work is happening. And as we already mentioned, Atlassian together, bringing all those products together in a single offering at a competitive price, um, allowing uh, customers who are looking to consolidate their work management tools onto a single platform for Atlassian. So absolutely a critical part of our go-to-market going forward um, and uh, part of our overall financial picture over the last year. Um, as far as the migrations themselves, um, the server customers, there is a significant portion of server customers who have yet to decide to move to data center or cloud. Um, and we are working with every, every single one of them, I'll tell you right now, is definitely aware of this February date. Um, and we will uh, hopefully ensure that we guide them to either a cloud or data center uh, decision post-February. Um, as far as uh, going to alternatives or so on, really we haven't had many of those conversations or see any spike. The migrations process has been very much in line with our plans. Um, and continues to be month on month. Joe, Mike, you have anything to add? Yeah, thanks, Cam. Uh, in terms of the question on guidance, um, you know, there is, as Cam mentioned, a server cohort that will not migrate to data center or server in FY24. And we factored that into our guidance. We based that on an analysis of our server customer base, uh, the trends we're seeing, the customer profile, the surveys that Cam mentioned. Uh, so we have accounted for that. We have a prudent assumption to account for that, and that is in the guidance itself. I can just add one or two more points on, on work management, Itai. Um, firstly, I think uh, we continue to see value in being uh, quite unique in the market in bridging technical and non-technical teams across the work management space. Uh, it's important to note that our three markets don't exist in isolation. They each have unique uh, sales motions and unique target personas, but they are intimately connected in a lot of different ways. Uh, for example, you might have marketing teams in Trello that need to connect to engineering teams and operations teams that live in Jira software, for example. Uh, that, that uniqueness uh, is a really good uh, a differentiator for us at the moment in the market. Uh, secondly, with things like Atlassian Together, as we mentioned earlier in the call, you know, consolidation on those spaces uh, is, uh, is a big part of things, uh, and you're seeing that with um, uh, execution so far, but also with Loom and with the other things that we are uh, uh, delivering and adding into that space. Again, Loom will sit in the, the work management area uh, as far as Atlassian is concerned. So, um, just wanted to be clear that we're, you know, pretty pretty steadfast in our in our commitment to work management. We think it's a huge opportunity for us, and we're not not waffling on that at all. Your next question comes from DJ Hines from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Hey, this is Luke on for DJ. Thanks for taking the question. So I'm going to dovetail off of the other questions around 
uh, migrations after end of life. I'm, I'm wondering if you can comment just sort of how much flexibility do customers have to extend beyond that deadline? You know, how difficult is it for them to continue using those products uh, once they're no longer supported? And then how long could it take for those remaining migrations to actually play out? Um, this Cameron here, a couple different dynamics to that question, but uh, first off, will customers, will we extend support to server customers post the server end of life? And the answer there is no. Um, and those customers, we gave those customers basically three and a half years heads up to make this decision, um, and we're definitely holding by that. Um, that said, if a server customer comes by, um, just so you know, the server licenses are perpetual licenses. So their software will continue to work. They just simply will not be able to get maintenance, patch updates, new functionality, or any support from Atlassian support teams. Um, so they will continue uh, to function um, just fine. Um, but once again, those customers eventually are going to want to have new capabilities or have something that they need support from, and they'll call us up. Now, if a customer does call us up a few months after the server end of life, they're on a server unsupported license and need help moving to the cloud, we absolutely will help them move to the cloud as long as they decide to purchase a cloud license. And with there, we're happy to have the technical conversation with them to help them move their server licenses up to cloud and whatever technical you know discussion is required. But that is the only place where we will you know to engage those server customers is if they have decided to purchase cloud itself. Um. Can I add, add on to that? Stepping back at the macro level, um, we've had a couple of years now where we've been focused on you know migrating our customers with a compelling event of uh, server end of life. Um, but uh, you know at a, at a Macro level, half of the migrations we're getting are from data center. And so that figure like doesn't turn off uh, come February next year, or like, that's going to continue uh, to be there. And um, we're continuing to invest in, in migrating customers across and continue to invest in making our cloud platform better and better. That's both attracting new customers to cloud and of course, continuing the migrations from, from data center. But these are investments that like uh, over time will plateau and uh, you know, over the We'll start getting uh, our peak, you know, migrations investments will at some stage, uh, you know, start decreasing. And uh, we also uh, stage where more and more of our customers are in the cloud. And if you think about the innovation that we can bring in cloud because of the platform we've got there, that's what I get really excited by. Um, our ability to bring new products to market is way, way, way faster in the cloud. Um, and you've seen that with your product discovery. We've seen that with Atlas, with Compass. Uh, you know, with Jira work management, you know, which is easy for us to get our customers to migrate from Jira software and, you know, get that N plus one user in the HR department or in the marketing department to start using Jira work management to track their work. Um, it's easy to put Jira service management uh, into these customers and cross-sell there. So the ability for us to both build uh, new innovation in the cloud is way higher, particularly because we've built this cloud platform um, that we've talked about and you've seen. And, uh, you know, the reason we could bring AI to all of our customers and all of our uh, products so quickly is the investments we've made in this cloud platform. And you know, as we hit peak migrations, like we'll be able to put more and more effort behind building uh, new things in this platform. And of course, acquisitions work really well as well. You know, the fact that we've got these customers in cloud, it's way easier to introduce them to Loom uh, than it is for a behind the firewall customer out there. And so. Um, I'm super excited. Um, you know, I know we've focused a lot on migration historically, and I know it's really important and, uh, you know, drives a lot of kind of people's spreadsheets about how they think about the business. 
But the more customers we have in cloud, the more innovation we can deliver, the better we can cross-sell um, our customers, the easier it is for us to get more incremental users inside our, um, you know, customer, inside our products and go wall-to-wall. Um, and so I'm really excited, like, the more I look around the opportunities we, we have, and particularly in this moment when customers are coming to us for consolidation and they're, you know, talking to us and saying, hey, have, I want to get rid of plenty of other vendors out there because you're mission critical and you do things that no one else can. And you've got a last analytics that allows me to show how work moves across my entire organization. Um, they're great conversations to have. And, uh, uh, you know, migrations are great, but uh, the real benefits are going to come on the far side of those migrations. And I just think that's worthwhile pointing out. Thank you. That's all the questions we have time for today. I will now turn the call over to Mike for closing remarks. Yeah, look, thanks everyone for joining the call today. Um, uh, as always, appreciate your uh, thoughtful questions and continued support. Uh, it'd be a bit remiss of me not to uh, uh, thank Cameron for his 11 years of uh, amazing dedicated support, friendship and everything else, uh, uh, ending as our Chief Revenue Officer adroitly over the last few years. So. Uh, just from me and from all of the team, thank you to Cameron before he heads off to his rocking chair on his porch in uh, in retirement, and we hope he, he really enjoys that. Um, secondly, on the heels of our high-velocity uh, event uh, that Scott talked uh, eloquently about earlier, um, we have Unleash, which is our Agile and DevOps market event uh, next month in Amsterdam, uh, and we'll be hosting a virtual ESG forum, uh, both of which uh, investor, uh, sorry, the virtual ESG forum is later this month, uh, both of which investors are, are welcome to, please. Uh, we hope to see you there. Um, and beyond that, uh, we hope you have a kick-ass rest of your day. Thank you for being here.